Hi, I'm Brad Rex, the former vice president for Disney's Epcot theme park, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge podcast. Hi there, I'm Lee Cockrell. I'm the former executive vice president of Walt Disney World, and Mickey Mouse was my boss. And you're listening to the Coaster Challenge podcast. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Coaster Challenge Podcast is here. It's time to face your fears. Get that theme park therapy and lend us both your Coaster ears. Challenge Podcast is here. Your fear can disappear. We know that theme park therapy can drive all your tears. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? We accept because you know we're not average. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. A journey where people become fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please secure your hats and glasses and keep your hands and arms inside the podcast. It's time to accept the Coaster Challenge with your host, Andrew Locke. This is Andrew, one of the executive producers of the Coaster Challenge podcast with you. And today I've got a special guest. I love talking to creatives because I am not a creative person, at least not in the artistic sense. But today we have a very special creative person to, to chat with. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Aaron Dempsey from Pursuit of Thrills. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to be on. Absolutely. We're proud to have you. So obviously I already know you. We've chatted before. I've supported your work and your products, which we'll talk about later. But for the benefit of our audience, who many of whom may not know you, tell us about yourself briefly and what you do, what you know, how it relates to the theme park industry and whatnot. Yeah, so I'm Aaron Dempsey. I'm the founder of Pursuit of Thrills. Almost coming up on the fifth year for Pursuit of Thrills. I've had a long passion since I was a small child, uh, visiting Kings Island my summer vacations, like for the theme park industry. And I've always been involved in one way or the other, at least as a hobby. And that came to fruition, you know, running a Kings Island enthusiast website, which back in the day was called PKI Limited, which I then sold to what is now KI Central. So I did that for quite a while as I was going through you know, grade school, high school, and then went to school for engineering and you know, never did stuff full-time in terms of the theme parks, but it was always a passion. Long story short, you know, worked on a couple of things directly with parks straight out of school, graduating from Purdue at uh, engineering degree led into that. And then eventually, you know, about five years ago, I wasn't really doing anything active in the amusement industry. And I've always, you know, been into photography and start posting some photos on a Instagram account and just like see where that goes. And one thing led to another and my background in design kind of merged in with that. And before you know it, Pursuit of Thrills kind of went from both a photography account into my own designs that I was really interested in and then people were showing interest in. And now we have Pursuit of Thrills, both like in terms of a brand and, you know, selling different posters, uh, designs, t-shirts, as well as some other exciting projects that are going to be kind of seen throughout the industry this season that I'm really excited about. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, like how you started with your Instagram and initially when I started Instagram, it kind of annoyed me about it because I was used to using Facebook and, and trying to like kind of augment or just kind of replace Facebook with Instagram. Cause I, I kind of appreciated the visual nature. Like you said, a lot of us get started on Instagram just with our, you know, par- I think a part of being a theme park and a coaster enthusiast is 
not everyone, but most of us, we're somewhat, we're photographers. We like taking photographs of where we are, of the coasters, of the parks, of the videoing the coasters. And, you know, some people get into the mirrorless camera stuff, really heavy into it. I'm more of an iPhone guy. But again, we kind of, that's kind of one of the ancillary hobbies that goes along with it. And that's where most of us stop. You know, yeah, fine. Maybe some people get like $5,000 mirrorless camera, like a Nikon or a Sony. But then you take it to the next level. And that's where you've really set yourself apart, where you've created basically source of income and and actually create a you know, professional level where you're selling your products, which again, we'll talk all about Pursuit of Thrills later. That's the second part of the interview. Uh, we'll get into that. But I think it's amazing that you've succeeded there and it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's something that I had zero intention or any idea that it would lead to what it is now, which like I would refer to as a extreme hobby because it's one of those things that it very much is a like hundred percent a passion project in terms of, you know, any dime that comes in, I more or less put back into, right. you know, I'm very, from a design standpoint, very particular in what I do and the quality of everything that I put out. And that leads to like certain t-shirt designs or like the quality of the paper that I'm using probably being beyond what I should reasonably be doing, but it's like, I'm really into that. So yeah, when I started it five years ago, I was just had some like general good f- photos that I really enjoyed in some like iPhone photos as well. And then, you know, I wanted to do something. I didn't have Kings Island website sold that, you know, five plus years earlier and really wanted to do something because I kind of missed that side of things. And, you know, it, it was one of those things when I first started, I had zero idea, A, that it would kind of lead me to here, like where I am now and be the community and the people that I was going to meet along the way. Cause that was the thing that I think kind of has blown my mind over the years is just the number of people that I've met, the number of people that I've become a good, like really good friends with, enjoy the parks with, you know, meet up at uh, various events, whether they're supporters of, you know, pursuit of thrills or just, you know, genuinely like photographer friends that has been probably the to me, the most incredible piece of it that I had zero idea would come out of it just by creating an Instagram account is the people I would meet, the community I would meet, and just like those relationships that have come out of that. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I can relate to that, not on the, you know, like you said, the Pursuit of Thrills side or like anything where I've done, you know, anything professional other than this podcast, I have met people and people have come up to me, oh, Coaster Surf, which is my, you know, my Instagram handle. They recognize me. Aside from maybe people recognizing me from what I've done in the community and trying to be, bring positivity and all that, uh, just the friends I've made in general. Yeah. You, you know, so it's just the, the social aspect of this hobby. It, it, on the one hand, it can be a problem sometimes with problem people. <laughs> but luckily, uh, you know, the majority, 99% of it for me has been positive. It's been good interactions and yeah, but anyways, we're, we'll we'll talk more about pursuit of thrills and dig into it, and definitely want to learn more about that because I've got some my own curiosities. I want to share your amazing art with our audience, and, and and we'll do that in the second half of the interview. But first, let's jump in what I like to call our theme park time machine and learn more about you as far as just your kind of the roots of you know theme parks and coasters for you. So definitely. first of all, by the way, are, are you live in Ohio still? I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm actually based just on the north side of Indianapolis, so. Originally okay. born, raised in Indianapolis, went to school in Indiana, and then after college, lived in both Ohio and Florida for a while, oh. and then somehow ended up back in Indiana. <laughs> How recently did you live in Florida? 
I lived in Orlando around 2011 for about two years. Oh, okay. I moved here to Orlando in 2018. So it's been about four years now. And it's been some of the, honestly, uh, aside from some personal problems in my life, personal issues, got divorced and all that, uh, uh, that all aside, which all that happened the past couple of years, the past four years have been some of the best years of my life because I love living here in Florida. So, um, but yeah, it seems like enthusiasts, Ohio, the Midwest, like Indianapolis, Florida, California, you know, it's like, that's the big triangle. Those are the three corners where people that live at some point because yep. you know, all the parks, but anyways, okay. So you're near your original home parks of Cedar Point and Kings Island. Right. Okay. Yep. Very good. All right. Let's again, jump in the theme park time machine. So what was the first coaster that you rode that you remember? So the first coaster that I remember riding was the Beastie at Kings Island. I, I forget the full name of it now, but it will right. always be the Beastie to me. Yeah, that was the first one that, you know, my parents convinced me to go on every year, probably since I was four years old and I'm, I turned 35 next month. But uh, ever since then, we did an annual family trip when I was growing up to Kings Island. And that's like the earliest memory that I have is I would go on the Beastie, but like the idea of roller coasters when I was a kid, it was like, like was really attracted to it, but they terrified me. Right. And so, right. yeah, BC was the one that like, they could convince me to go on the very first time. <laughs> gotcha. Now that makes sense. It's that combination of being enthralled and being afraid of, and, you know, intrigued by it all. Yeah. It's common for kids and all that. So, and, and was Kings Island the closest park to where you grew up or was, yeah. was Cedar Point? Yeah. Yeah. So Kings Island is about, it can be just under a two hour drive, like depending, but like, it's usually about two hours and then Cedar Point is about four hours. Um, So growing up, I definitely uh, visited Kings Island way more often. And that's what I was more interested in uh, just because proximity and stuff like that. That's what led me to making a Kings Island website when I was 12 years old, I think it was. And it wasn't until I would say college that I really started going to Cedar Point much more often versus like Kings Island, despite the additional drive. I see. Okay. Gotcha. Well, yeah, because once you hit college age, you're also able to drive yourself and not depend on your parents or. Exactly. You can stay in the hotels, have a fun weekend once you're, you know, over the age of 21 and all that kind of fun stuff on the beach. And yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Cedar Point's an amazing park, but it's, it's a destination too. Exactly. Which a lot of people kind of don't even think about. So yeah, for me, my home park growing up, uh, Six Flags Great Adventure. And for me, once I, driving age, you know, basically around the time I finished high school and before college, uh, you know, I got a season pass for the first time and was taking friends there, meeting friends there. And, you know, I was going there much more often than when I couldn't drive. So I can relate yeah, to what you're saying. Okay. So you were talking about coasters being scary. Got your first coaster beastie. Makes a lot of sense given, you know, Kings Island was your home park, but talk to me about ever since you rode the beastie until now, what coaster through all those years has scared you the most? I would say leading up to the point where it kind of switched in my brain of being really terrified to like understanding I need more of this. I was always just truly terrified of the beast at Kings Island, like when I was little and it was the ride that, you know, my older brother would always make fun of me for not being able to do. And like my dad would do everything possible to try and convince me. And so I would say up to that point, that was the one that terrified me the most, even though like I wouldn't write it. 
Um, and then finally, I was able to get a ride on it. And I think it was the mythical, like, beast nighttime ride oh. like, at night, fog, like the whole thing. And it that's where it completely everything kind of flipped in my brain. So, like, that was the one where I would say over my life, the one that I was most afraid of that kind of okay. switched it. The one to this day, the one that I still get the most, I would say, anticipation, like adrenaline, anxiety yeah. is Top Thrill Dragster. Of course. So, I knew you were going to say that. The common answers have been X2 and then Top Dragster. Those yeah. are like the top two, probably. There's been a few others, you know, Space Mountain, Vengeance has been up there, Velocicoaster. The main one, those two are X2 and yeah. Top Dragster. Now, Top Dragster, obviously, you know, second tallest in the world, but certainly between it and King Ka. Topple Dragster has gotten, I think, a lot more ridership, a lot more enthusiasts. They've ridden it first before King Ka. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe we'll talk about both of them. Let's talk about the Beast first, because that yeah, was definitely. first. Right. Okay. All right. So your first ride on the Beast was a night ride? I remember that moment where it was like end of the day, and my dad finally convinced me, just come on, you can ride. Like you've been on the racer a million times. Like I love the racer, still love the racer. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, I was on Adventure Express and he's like, you can trust me, you can do this, you will enjoy it, it'll be a lot of fun. And then I finally gave into it. And I remember like towards the end of the day, and it was like, yeah, it was nighttime. And then there, like the rest of history. It, yeah, okay. that was the definitely the thing, the moment that just like triggered everything in my brain. This is the greatest thing ever. Okay, got it. Now, a lot of coasters, you can see them from you know all around the park now the beast though while it's at a more traditional thrill park you know king's island is more like a thrill park certainly not as much theming the beast sort of is like those coasters at disney universal because the vast majority of the ride is out in the middle of the woods you can't see yep. it from the station or any part of the park so it's got that intrigue and that mystery and that it, it also can contribute to anxiety because you don't know and how old were you when you first wrote it I would say like 10 years old. So, so back in the 90s, this is before YouTube. This is before the internet, really, for the most part. It's not like you could look up a POV, you know? Exactly. It's like, yeah. yeah. So this, you've got that mystery, which probably was anxiety producing. So talk to me. Going through the queue, maybe even going up the first lift hill, what was going through your mind? Yeah, I would say like even before that, like the thing that I remember the most was always just the painted claw marks that they had on the midway leading up to the beast. And just that alone freaked me out because it was like, what is this mythical thing? Apparently terrifying and will like shred you to pieces or whatever. That first and foremost, like always freaked me out. Like at that age, even then I remember going into the queue just like with the dilapidated building, they didn't have the full ponder all that like back like when it first opened but they still had water going through the kind of shoots in the station remember that vividly just like this isn't anything else that i had been writing and it was one of those like i was absolutely terrified but at the same time i was like okay i'm just gonna do this because a i'm, I'm gonna trust my dad and at the same time i was sick of my brother like constantly making fun of me for not writing it and so i was like i'm going to just do this just to get him to shut up and so yeah it was like that anticipation i have no idea what i'm getting myself into but so far this seems pretty cool right yeah that totally makes sense and what is your brother older by the way i'm guessing yes he's three okay. years older than me yeah, okay yeah. got it so 
<laughs> the other thing that has been very common that we hear a lot from people is the peer pressure. I kind of have two like you. The first one for me was Great American Screen Machine at Great Adventure, which is long gone, old hour America Looper. And I had the peer pressure. It was a school trip. My friend, like, oh, come on, you'll enjoy it. You trust us. It's We hear about the peer pressure again and again. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense for you. Your dad trying to trust me, your brother bothering you about it, teasing you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's difficult stuff. So, but you were terrified because of the unknown, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because like you mentioned, it's with the beast, especially you just heard YouTube before all that you really had no idea what was out there, what was going on, or anything like that. And I that was could all you'd hear like from friends and, you know, people that went to King's Island, um, like similar to your age was just this in like almost it like almost like mythical creature that people could ride and conquer and that's all you could hear is just how terrifying and you know crazy it was just going steaming through the middle of the woods and just like how intense it could be yeah totally makes sense so you mentioned the switch riding the beast and the, and the switch clicking in your brain so I know it's been, what, 25 years or so now, but do you remember at, at approximately what point on the ride the switch happened, or maybe it wasn't until afterwards? Like, talk to me about that. I think a lot of it was a blur in terms of, I would say, let's say the first half of the ride. So fun, like, this is crazy, but like, I don't think I really processed it. And then it was the combination of the double helix uh, and, yeah. then, and then finally hitting the brake run where my brain's like, oh my God, that was the coolest thing ever. And just like <laughs> that feeling of being completely out of control. And I, I don't know how at the age that I was at, someone tried to explain to me what a double helix was like right. in a tunnel, in the woods, you're going to go up a lift hill yeah. and then just go straight into the thing. I'll be like, I don't understand that. And experiencing that for the first time was just one of those like completely mind-blowing moments of yeah. pure unbridled, out of control terror that led to the greatest adrenaline rush of I need to keep doing that. That was the greatest thing. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. You mentioned about the brake run. So, you know, not to say a fear thing, but just any coaster, just riding it for the first time. I definitely have had these moments. I've had it like this past year on first time on Guazi, Velocicoaster, and others where, you know, the ride, the coaster is so fast, you know, the pacing and everything, you know, it's something like Velocicoaster, once it launches, you know, it's not like you're waiting on the lift hill or something or the beast yeah. where you've got the second lift hill, you've got that slowness in between, you know, rides like Velocicoaster, especially you're not able to really catch up with your thoughts until the end of the ride you hit the brake run and it's kind of abrupt. And then you like start processing what you just went through the past couple of minutes. Yeah. on the beast, you know, five minutes, but yeah. So I totally get it where like, once you hit the break run, so that switch happened for you, really fully happened for you. So, you know, we talk about facing here that fear is like a muscle. It's something that you can go to the gym and work on your muscles and it strengthen them, strength training, build up your muscles, whereas fear is in the mind. So it's not a muscle, of course, but it sort of can function like that, where the more you face your fears, the better you get at facing fear in general in life, not just coasters, anything. So there's that. But also I think with being an enthusiast, there's, you make that switch from being afraid of a lot of these coasters and rides to, 
oh, wow, these are amazing. And then you can start trusting them. And there's that break that happens, you know, and it's, it's kind of almost separate from the fear and the training of the fear thing. It, it's something I think maybe scientists should study because how, you know, going from being afraid of something to all of a sudden trusting it, wanting more of it, but not just that one thing, any coaster, any ride, it is becoming a thrill seeker, like, like a snap, like, like a switch like that. It's really interesting. So. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of those, for me, it's, I almost wish like I had just a little bit more of like, still had a tiny bit of that, like fear and that unknown. I think I still like certain rides will still get that, but it's definitely for me been more like, because I'm really into the engineering side of things and I've always had an attraction to roller coasters um, and then the riding them, like that got me over the fear, but understanding the engineering into it is one of those things that honestly helped me get past the, I would say the fear of the unknown, because it's like, I would start to understand how the thing, like how things worked and the math and the physics and the engineering behind all of it. And then because of that, like my brain could start to almost like trust it no, the, this is going to be okay because, you know, this isn't just, you know, something that they, you know, randomly decided to put up, you either bolt a bunch of wood together or steel, then it, there's a lot of science and math behind this and that helped my brain. And that's where I am today. Even, you know, with friends and stuff like that, it's kind of, this isn't just like someone's backyard, uh, kind of like circus that they just put stuff together. It's like, there's a lot of factor of safety and engineering that goes in, into this. And so... I know I'm going to come out on the other end just fine. So you conquered your fears on the beast and you were glad to do it because you had that switch happen and all of a sudden, yeah. So would you say that you became an enthusiast after riding the beast? I would say that's where it really ramped up. So leading up to that point, I was like drawing roller coasters and stuff because I was just as architectural beings. I was like really fascinated with them. I was fascinated with the mechanics of it, like lift hills, even just old PTC clamp air brakes and stuff like that was like really fascinating to me. But it was that ride on the beast that like, triggered, there's all these, I want to ride more and more and more. And then I think it was either that year or so after riding the beast where I just took off in terms of obsession. Like my dad got me, my first ever like ACE membership and stuff like that. And the rest was history. Nice. That's awesome. So are you still an ACE member, by the way? Yeah, I am. Yep. Oh, nice. It's like a family thing. No. So um, it was my dad and I for a while. And so like growing up, my mom could like, she would ride roller coasters and stuff past a certain point. She just stopped just because of a her fear and terror. And then she had a, a heart condition where she like, it was not safe for her to ride anymore. Uh, I wish I had it really available. One of the funniest on-ride photos of Shikra ever with her riding on that at Bush Gardens Tampa. But anyway, so my dad and I would travel together quite a bit. We would take trips to different parks. So him and I were ACE members for a while. Um, and then I think it was probably around either high school or when I went off to college, um, there was probably like a little bit of a lapse in membership as I was doing a bunch of other stuff. And then I picked that back up um, where my partner and I are members now for the past several years. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I went through the same thing. I was an ACE member. You mentioned a second coaster. You mentioned Top Thrill Dragster. What happened with Top Thrill Dragster that you identified as a second one? I don't think the first time I wrote it, I had written Accelerator 
it was either the year after accelerator opened or something like that. So like I was familiar with the intensity of, you know, the hydraulic launch and stuff, but I don't think it was leading, I would say leading into the ride first round top throw dragster. I wasn't scared or anything like that. If anything was afterwards where I was like, I cannot believe I just experienced something like that. So it's knowing what that launch experience is like, and then going up the tower, knowing what that was like, that then just fed into any additional so the following ride where that anticipation of sitting right before you're about to launch, that still would get to me where, you know, sitting, waiting to hear the chain dog, like kind of like drop and then roll back a little bit, just waiting and hearing, like it still get me anxious. So that's probably the, the main difference is it wasn't fear leading into it. It was kind of the, the anxiety that came out of it, knowing how intense <laughs> that experience, that 17 seconds is. Right. That makes sense. It's an intense experience for such a short coaster, the uh, intimate catapults. I mean, they're amazing. They're not my favorite. The fear I had to get over was going upside down. I was so yep. afraid as a kid of going upside down, I wouldn't do somersaults in gym class and PE. Yep. So then going on a Great American Scream Machine, which wasn't just like a single loop, or I should have done lightning loops, which was still there. My friends were like front of the park, first coaster of the day was right there, Great American Scream Machine. Anyway, so once I got over that, I pretty much conquered all my fears with coasters. I've never really been afraid of heights or, but for me, it kind of had a similar story. I went through that kind of second break, like yours was top thrill. For me, it was as a season pass holder, Magic Mountain, now it's X2, was then X, yep. not having ever been on a coaster like that. And that is one of the most intense coasters out there, that design. I've been on all yep. three in the world at this point. It's still those coasters freak me out because they're so different. They're, they're, not, the, they're mm -hmm. not like anything else out there. I was lucky enough to ride nice. yeah, X2 when it was X back in the day, which I really enjoyed its original paint scheme a lot more than the current one, but I, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like, I only got to ride it once. It was during that period where like, it was rarely open and it just happened to be open for a couple hours when my dad and I were at Six Flags Magic Mountain. And yeah, that experience is seared into my brain, even though it was only one ride of just what the hell is this? <laughs> like not knowing, like, how is this a thing? How is this like even possible? Obviously, you've conquered your fears on coasters. You, you know, you've kind of conquered your anxieties and, and the fear of the unknown really was for you, I think. It wasn't yeah. a fear of speed or heights necessarily. It's just you didn't know what the coaster was going to be like for yeah. the beasts. So talk to me about how facing your fears and conquering your fears riding coasters, how that's impacted your life. It's been a pretty crazy huge impact like one way or the other, either directly or tangentially, just really that trigger or that switch that happened. And that led me down the path of, you know, starting PKI Unlimited that gained like a lot of relationships and a lot of like industry knowledge and just like understanding how things work. And that led me down that path. And then, you know, really when I decided to sell PKI Unlimited, I still had like a really strong desire and urge. Like I really wanted to work in the amusement park industry. It was a combination of amusement park industry and motorsports that led me to hmm. into mechanical engineering. My dad's a mechanical engineer, but like I've always had a passion. I didn't know if I was going to do racing or if I was going to do like amusement park industry, like roller coaster design just seemed way, you know, just so much more of like trying to thread the needle, getting something within it that, you know, the opportunities for me were more prevalent in terms of the motorsport industry. So like in college, that's actually the direction mm -hmm. I, I went down in terms of that. 
However, because of that switch that happened and that obsession that I had in the amusement park industry, that was always in the background, no matter what. And so my brain was always trying to be like, how can I be involved in the industry? What can I do? Or like outside of just visiting park, is there some way I can somehow do something in the industry? And that's kind of like what led me to where I am now. And if it wasn't for that switch, you know, it wouldn't have led me to what I did uh, directly after college, like when I graduated, starting a company with one of my best friends, and then what that path led me down as well. And so it's a chain of events that happened just because of that is when I stopped to think about it, absolutely insane. And my life would be completely different if it wasn't just for that moment. Roller coasters are the greatest thing ever. Right. So it's almost like the butterfly effect. You know, you can look back to that, that pivotal, like fork in the road, getting on the beast and then how it changed your life. That's awesome. That's amazing. So pursuit of thrills, that doesn't pay all the bills. You have a separate job or separate. Yeah, no. Yeah. I lead user experience design for a software uh, company based out of New York. So that's what pays the bills. And that also is what kind of helps keep pursuit of thrills going in terms of when I'm trying to do new initiatives or something like that. Uh, pursuit of thrills very much is a huge passion of mine. It is a hobby. It's not a source of income for me or anything. It's, it is truly a passion project that would be amazing if, you know, as it continues to grow like that, were that shift were to happen, but as it is now it's, yeah, it's definitely one of those things. I do it purely out of the love of, of doing it. I have to say is knowing the quality of your work and, you know, not just saying that or just having gone on your website, being an owner of multiple of the products you produce and definitely not continuing that moving forward. I personally think you'll get somewhere with it. Now, will it be something where it'll be your only thing? I don't know, because I know it can be tricky and, you know, there's some Mm. competition out there and the economics of it, but I think you'll, you're going to be continuing to succeed. And and I want to see you succeed because you're a really talented artist. So thanks. And, I, yeah, yeah, I really, yeah, I really appreciate that. So I, I'm very excited about what the future holds and more on that in a couple of months. <laughs> yeah. So just out of curiosity, you've, met, you've alluded to a few times, you know, what you're going to be doing this year. Is that pursuit of thrills related? Yes. Did you ever get involved professionally speaking, you know, company or job wise in the motorsports side? Yeah, that's actually an interesting story. So all my college internships were with racing teams. So oh, wow. I was assistant engineer uh, for a couple of different racing teams, some based in Indianapolis, some based in Florida. And it was during the one thing that led me to understanding that professional racing wasn't for me was (laughs) the exposure to the travel schedule during my summer internships and how brutal it is. And so it's, I have immense respect for anyone that works for a racing team because the travel schedule is just brutal. It's Anyways, I, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. it's super aggressive. So I was home for a very short span of time uh, in between races one summer. It was right before my final year at Purdue and my dad and I did a trip up to Cedar Point. And when we were waiting in line, and this is really before iPhone apps became a thing where parts had anything like that, like well right. before this, the summer of 2009, when we're waiting in line for Maverick and I was just getting mm. so frustrated at how not knowing like wait times and stuff like that. 
And that's kind of like one thing led to another and noticed everyone had their phone out. I wonder if there's a way we can get wait times from people's phones because everyone's moving through here and my engineering right. brain's kind of working. And so one thing led to another where one of my best friends at the time I was in engineering with me, I was like, I think I have an idea for our senior project. We can make these sensors that can pick up Bluetooth signals and we can just start timestamping things to like monitor like how people are moving through a park and like wait times. And that senior project turned into a business straight out of college, or I would say not a business. It was a startup because, you know, yeah. it didn't get to the point of truly being a sustainable business, but where we worked with a couple of parks straight, you know, right out of college, the uh, one day, the Saturday was graduation. The next day we were moving to more or less live on site at a park uh, to develop and test the system. Hmm. And so that combination of like the engineering hardware side of developing these sensors and then, but also building the like web software front end right. data visualization, that's what led me down the path that, you know, I career actually took, which is like really focused on data visualization and like uh, creating interfaces where you can, you know, interpret and manipulate data. I see. Interesting. So the company that you created, I mean, there is technology today. Some parks, they use the old school, they hand a guest a card. And they say, yep. and once you get on the right hand, that card to the team member, cast member, whatever park it is. Yep. And then that they measure it that way. But I know a lot of parks, they use automation for it, but it's not your technology, it's something else. Yeah, it was definitely one of those things that uh, it was, I would say the technology was way beyond its time. Because even, uh, you know, 12 years later, what we right. were trying to do is still is like checking out what parks are doing. It's like, they still aren't doing what we were doing. It was just because we were so far ahead and because of, you know, various factors, it was cost prohibitive to like truly make it a sustainable business where parks wanted to spend that or allocate that kind of capital to something that was a little bit difficult to prove like a hard ROI. Like, I don't want to get right. too. Yeah. And so, yeah, like it, that was the difference is it, it was a passive system that also had a lot of predictive models and analytics that could forecast, you know, wait times because when you enter right. into a line that doesn't necessarily mean what somebody just waited doesn't mean that's what you are going to wait oh, when course. you enter a line yeah that was one of the main things uh, behind it was like that forecasting ability not just for like uh, cues but you know what's the perfect mixture of an express pass and a right. standby rider and single rider how do you get those to optimize all three of those cues and stuff? So it all kind of like boils down to basic, like kind of flow uh, calculations and engineering right. and stuff. I'm assuming you've seen Kevin Perger's amazing work that he did with the Fast Pass documentary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, with Shape Park and all that. I know that some parks, like Universal, I believe, for example, is a good example. They use some technology. They're not using that card system. I don't know if they're using the cameras with facial recognition. I, I don't know what they're doing but there's something they're doing. I know they tried facial recognition at some point. I would say what they're doing is heavily based on what we developed. That's the best way I can put it. Oh, interesting. But you guys did not secure the IP or patent it or anything like that, right? Yeah, I, it, it was, you know, two oh. college students and, you know, limited funds and stuff like that. And it was one of those, we made the conscious decision that, you know, it wasn't, what we wanted to continue pursuing because frankly we were we did it for 
about three years straight and we were burned out in oh wow yeah corporate politics and all that kind of stuff yeah we and like, a startup eh, let's yeah 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 let's shelve this yeah i've worked for many startups over the years i currently work for a startup but i'm not afraid of them but yeah they can be interesting challenging oh, yeah. so oh yeah yeah for sure all right well let's get back on track here so talk to me about what the craziest moment you've ever had on a coaster was the craziest moments that's just is top of the list for me was my first ever ride on Steel Vengeance mm-hmm. at Media Day. <clears throat> oh, that okay. is still, the, it was a combination of A, just not expecting what it was in terms of intensity, just all the airtime and all that. But the combination of, it was cold, a little misty, and it was extremely foggy. Oh. So you could only maybe see the first 70 feet of the lift hill. And the rest of it, you were just going into like the abyss where you couldn't see anything. Right. So the combination of that first time riding it, where it was something that I had been completely hyped about for two plus years and then actually experience it for the first time. I was in complete disbelief when, you know, we hit the break run. So were you at Media Day representing Pursuit of Thrills or were you a guest? Yes, I was at Media Day representing Pursuit of Thrills and yeah, getting photos and, you know, spending some time with some of my other Instagram coaster photographer buddies uh, during the day. So that also probably was one of the first Media Days you went to, right? Yeah. So it was the first ever for Pursuit of Thrills. Right. Um, Okay. And it wasn't my first one. I had been to a couple for from my PKI Unlimited days, as oh, well as, you know, okay. Ace and stuff like that. But right. it was my first one ever in terms of, oh, Pursuit of Thrills is no longer just my fun, whatever Instagram <laughs> account. I'm actually like, I made it to Steel Vengeance Media Day. Like what is going on? It was a little bit surreal. Yeah, no, I can relate, uh, you know, with Coaster Challenge here. I'm based in Orlando, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm kind of basically the East Coast, slash, especially the Florida rep for Coaster Challenge, although we now have another person that uh, associate producer here that joined the podcast here in the second season that's based in Tampa. But I do a lot of the media events here in Florida and even beyond it. Anyway, but I've been to a number of media days and obviously they're different, different parts handle in a different way. But, you know, when I went to Iron Quasi's media day back in February, that was really cool because they mic'd us up and it was handled like a TV production. Mm -hmm. So where I've been to many media events for Ace, where we're riders, you know, where we're like, we're not the talent, we're just filling seats. And we see the talent that they're hiring, you know, the front row, and they're getting mic'd up and having the lights put on them and all that. Yeah, when I went to Iron Gwazi's media day, they were doing that with us. And I was very impressed with Bush Gardens, Tampa's, you know, level to which they went, you know, in terms of getting good recordings and audio, video, et cetera. So it was pretty cool. Okay, so that's the great craziest moment. My next question, I'm very curious to ask you this because of some of the work you put out with Pursuit of Thrills. I have some theories, but what would you say your favorite coaster is? I would say there are different tiers. I don't necessarily purposely rank rides. There are certain rides that have, they're high on the list in terms of sentimental value. Sure. And then there's some that are objectively just better rides in my mind. The Beast, that has high sentimental value to me for obvious reasons. I don't think it's objectively, you know, a top five ride, in my opinion, except at nighttime, like certain conditions, then it can like transcend all that. But yeah, Steel Vengeance is still, for me, that is my objective of what I have written 
top ride if I had to pick one last thing to ride based on what I've already ridden. That would be, I'm very excited to try Iron Gwazi and oh, yes. Velocicoaster. I'm hoping to get back down to Florida this year and nice. ride both of those. I figured you hadn't been on Iron Gwazi yet just because it just opened, but you've not been on Velocicoaster yet either. No, not yet. Normally I do at least one trip to Universal a year and just because of the past two years and then work and all that, I have not been able to uh, work with my schedule to get down to Universal for a long weekend. So gotcha. I'm hoping this year in the in the fall at the absolute latest that can get back down there and check it out. Okay, so Steel Vengeance is your number one. Iron Gwazi might shake that up for you. It's a whole quality over quantity sort of thing. Yeah, that's what I am. It's a like lightning rod. I adore that ride, but I need some length. It's like, it's so mind blowing, unbelievable. It's like same thing with even Top Thrill Dragster. It is the most intense 17 seconds ever, but it's still, it's like, it's 17 seconds. Whereas Steel Vengeance, it really feels like it's two and a half coasters in one. It's just nonstop. So like, I'm really curious about where Velocicoaster really seems like it has the length. Iron Gwazi seems like it has the quality of all of the elements. Yes. Maybe not the link. So I'm really curious as where both of those are going to fall in terms of how I compare it Steel Vengeance. It's interesting because your two coasters you talked about as sort of favorites or nostalgia or, you know, the night rides on Beast being putting it up there. Those two coasters are two of the longest coasters in the world. I mean, they're very yeah. lengthy for their steel and for wood. And, you know, like Steel Dragon, I think is one of the few that's longer than Steel Vengeance. But I mean, so it's interesting. I don't know if that's just a coincidence for you. Oh yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I'd say for me, a combination of quality and quantity, figuring out that because lightning rod, that's a perfect example. Insane quality, very short. And like, to me, that ranks way higher than objectively than the beast. Even Voyage, I think way, way better than the beast, but to me that oh, yeah. quality and quantity. So right. I'm curious if the length of Iron Gwazi will be long enough where in like my brain that emphasizes the quality more to like surpass some of the longer coasters like that are kind of in my mind, you know, that I really enjoy. Yeah, there's quite a few of my friends, both local and long distance, have ridden Iron Gwazi already, you know, the long distance ones have come in for it. Class, quite a few of my friends that I know personally, they're friends with, have been on Iron Gwazi. And the people that love RMC, especially, Iron Gwazi is huge for them. Number one for a lot of them took over from Steel Vengeance. You know, a number of my friends that are like me that are real intimate people where Iron Gwazi is awesome, but it's still, it's not Velocicoaster level and all that. So it's it's fun. I mean, you know, I don't take it too seriously. You can't, otherwise you get into fights, but but I think (laughs) Iron Gwazi to me, it's the Goldilocks RMC. I definitely, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to experience it. Look forward to seeing what you think of it. So I'm curious, what is your number two? Because I have a theory as to what it is. I honestly don't know. It's very easy for me to like think if I had to pick one more ride out of any coaster I've ridden on, it's to me right now, it's very easy to say Steel Vengeance. Below that, I would say like it honestly depends, time of day, mood, stuff like that. Top of mind would either be like Maverick, Voyage is amazing, right place, right time, Millennium Force even. There's just something about the mm. setting. I like oh, where I'm yeah. like eerie. Really difficult for me to pick number two because there's a lot that have their pluses and minuses. Maybe right. don't reach that last ride god tier level. To your right behind you is one of the products that I bought from you. <laughs> and it is an amazing poster of Maverick that you did. 
And I was going to say, is that poster behind you related to your number two? And then Maverick is the first one you mentioned. Again, you and I have never met in person, but we've talked. I just had a feeling. Yeah. I just, something was telling me. Yeah, that Maverick poster is amazing, by the way. Everyone should, anyone who loves Maverick oh, should, should, oh yeah, I love it. All right, that's fun talk about the favorites. So what would you say is your least favorite or most heated coaster you've ever been on? It was Son of Beast. And <laughs> I will preface okay. that as when I wrote it opening year in 2000, actually I was like obsessed with it because that was right. before it completely destroyed itself. And I think right. it was the year right before they changed the trains and got rid of the uh, loop. That right. was the last time I wrote it. And that when I got off, that was, I will never, ever ride this again. Cause I genuinely thought like, I was afraid for like my own well being. like oh, it's worst thing ever. And, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that when they tore that down, I was more than happy. <laughs> <laughs> so I do a quick, like couple minute story here. Cause you being yeah. a Kings Island guy at the, the website, PKI, the Paramount Days. The first time I ever did my pilgrimage to Ohio, we got to go to Geauga Lake, but it was, you know, Worlds of Adventure yeah. and all that then, which was pretty cool to do that. And then Cedar Point and Kings Island, those were, for me to go there the first time was amazing. And this was opening year for Son of Beast. And I think Paramount took really good care of Kings Island back in those days, at least. And they were doing ERT on Son of Beast. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, uh, The Beast and Son of Beast walkbacks. I yeah, that. the walkbacks, yeah. exactly. But, but Son of Beast, I thought it was a great coaster. It's never yeah. ranked high for me, but it was fun. The loop and everything. Yeah. I never wrote it after that, ever again. I wish I, yeah. that is my story. <laughs> right. So then they took me around. I was with these guys all day. It starts raining, drizzle, and it's nighttime now. They're like, oh, my God, it's raining. It's nighttime. We have to get to the Beast. So go over the beasts. I've not been on it at night at this point. And we go up to the station. And of course, the station's made all of the wood. And we get in there. It's basically last ride of the night, more or less. And you got the ride ops on the PA system and riling everyone up. And people are stamping their feet on the wood. And I was like, I'd never seen anything like this before. And then riding it, you know, just a drizzle. It wasn't painful or anything, thankfully. But at night in the rain, the track slicked up. The coaster warmed up in the day. That night ride is still legend for me. And I've been on the beast yep. at night since. But yeah, that was just so magical. I, my first visit to Kings Island was a magical day. It truly was. It was amazing from start That's to amazing. finish. But I totally get why Son of Beast, once it got massacred, and yeah, I totally get why that'd be your least favorite. All right, so let's talk about Pursuit of Thrills. So tell me what you consider Pursuit of Thrills to be and what makes it unique in your eyes. Pursuit of Thrills, I would say a brand and design studio, really just focused on sharing my creative vision for the theme park industry in terms of rides that I truly love, as well as helping bring that vision to life, you know, through other means as well. So like I mentioned, it started as purely just like a fun photography account for me to post some stuff. And with me having, you know, my day job and having a design background, it was another way of being a creative outlet where I had some ideas for different posters and that resonated with people. And one thing led to another, I was continuing to design more and more and new things. So yeah, it's grown from nothing to now we have just over 10,000 followers on Instagram and, you know, over 2000 people subscribe to our mailing list. It's kind of crazy just how it's grown from nothing to it now takes over an entire room in my house. So 
I discovered you, I don't know you, but I remember it was May of 2021 and Velasa fever was gripping the PC world. <laughs> it was around that time, maybe a little later in May, I forget, I came across Pursuit of Thrills and I saw your Velocicoaster design and a lot of your designs, your Maverick design, they don't say Velocicoaster or Maverick, but they were inspired by it. And any Thuzi that looks at them, they know, oh, it's Maverick, it's Velocicoaster. And I was just struck in by your Velocicoaster design, your clever girl design. It's just so beautiful. It's so cool looking. Oh, thank and you. it just says Velocicoaster without saying Velocicoaster. You know, I've messaged you a couple of times because you were sold out or something was coming out and you're always awesome at getting back to me right away and being helpful and everything. And yeah, I soon thereafter got the poster ordered and got it framed. And while we're on the subject, any news about that clever girl design, the t-shirt coming out? So I have a design that I have sketched out. That's one of the main things because it is very much a hobby and it's very much just me. I have to kind of pick and choose specifically when it comes to either the designs I want to focus on, or even more especially on the apparel side, right. that's much more resource intensive okay. if I'm going to commit to a design as well as the amount of space that it takes up. Right. I will say that that is top of the list of a next t-shirt that I would release. So I don't know when, but if I release another t-shirt sometime soon, that's the one that it would be. All right. Well, let me know because I will be like the first in line to order that for sure. Yep. But in any case, so yeah, I discovered your Velocicoasters. I ordered it right away and then I've been following you ever since and ordered other stuff like the Maverick one, for example, and, and so forth. But your artwork's amazing and I can't really wait to appreciate see other that. stuff you do. Absolutely. So what kinds of tools and software do you use for your designs? It's actually a plethora of different things. I know one of the things that I really like about design. I really enjoy artwork and illustrations and stuff like that has like a true organic analog feel to it. To me, that feels very sterile. So I love where it looks like it's truly been made on a massive Parisian lithography press, you mm. know, a hundred years ago with like the layers and layers of imperfection and detail. So right. because that's how my weird brain enjoys things, that also means that I have a much more abnormal process in terms of like what I do. So it's a combination of everything from hand-drawn sketches to Illustrator to uh, Procreate on my iPad Pro and oh. even sometimes Photoshop or even Lightroom if I need, like if there's certain elements that I want to bring in from like a photo that... I've used specifically as a texture. So it's a wide plethora of different applications I use, but the primary ones are Procreate on iPad and Adobe Illustrator. And then there's some other analog hand-drawn methods that I utilize in Scanning. Interesting. Have you ever utilized drawing tablet? Yeah. So I've used that in the past and I've almost exclusively transferred over to my iPad Pro with pencil. Right. It's more or less replaced. I still love having like paper in actual physical just because right. like I'm still kind of old school in that way, but my actual drawing and sketches are hundred percent on the iPad Pro and Procreate. Nice. I'm a huge fan of iPads. It's small enough. The battery life's great. It's so nice to be able to have that everywhere. And just be able to open it up and just jump on right away. I've known of people using the iPad for creating art, but I've not met someone who does it. So that's really cool that you do that. 
it's definitely changed how I work and how I put my artwork and stuff together. And yeah, it's definitely gotten a lot of use over the past couple of months. That's awesome. That's really cool to hear being a big fan of Apple, you know, like we talked about. So Pursuit of Thrills has been around for about five years, you said now? Yeah, it will be five years, end of this month. So in that five years, what have been your most popular designs? It's been all over the plate, honestly. I would say definitely because of Lost Coaster hype train blew me away in terms of like selling out so quick and stuff yeah. like that. I would say the interesting thing that I've learned from it is a lot of the times the designs that I think are going to do well, either from like, I'm doing it because I've gotten a lot of requests for it or something like that end up not being the most successful designs. And it's usually the designs that I'm doing because it's something I really want. It's a ride that I love or a theme or idea that I love, those always end up doing the best. And I learned that like after the first two years of the store and stuff like that, when I release stuff now, it's really because like I am hundred percent on board behind this. I'm not trying to do it just because I think it will sell or like win a popularity contest. I'm doing it because I love it just as much. If none of them sold, I'm still going to love it at the end of the day. Yeah. Velocicoaster has been in terms of the, what I call my art series, it's been the most popular. That has been the most popular, even though like I released less than a year ago. And I would say the rest of them are all more or less like equal playing ground. I could probably go in and find out exactly or I know I could do that, but it'll probably take me a couple minutes. Yeah, but like the layout posters and stuff like that, the very first ones I ever released, just because they've been around the longest, the Cedar Point layout posters, I've gone through the most just because they've been around since I first opened the store about a year after I started the account. Oh, nice. Okay, that's cool. I was kind of wondering if you're a clever girl, Lost Coaster, it was up there. It's an amazing design. And, and it, it definitely think, embodies what you were talking about, how you like to pursue your design, where it's organic and imperfect and you can tell it doesn't have those squared off edges and things like that it is very organic which is perfect for that poster because it's animals fundamentally that this ride is based on but you know animals they don't have squared off line we don't have squared off lines we're imperfect so is anything that you would like to share here in terms of where you hope to be taking pursuit of thrills here in the near future yeah, so this year I'm really excited about a couple of things. Like obviously we'll be continuing uh, to do some limited releases within the store, but I'm also announcing and a couple of everyone I'm calling Pursuit of Thrill Studio client projects that are going to be released. So some people saw a little hint of that at Winter Chill Out at Cedar Point. Some of the designs, they're going to see that throughout the park in terms of different signage that will be going up. And then at Kings Island for their 50th anniversary, there's quite a large amount of artwork that people will see around the park and at the front gate that is Pursuit of Thrills designed for the park. So that's something I'm really excited about to be taking Pursuit of Thrills in is not just as a retail brand, but really focusing as a design studio that is providing design services and enthusiast sourced and derived artwork for parks to implement throughout their parks and their experiences. 
Wow, Aaron, how exciting that is. I mean, I got to say what the announcement for the Beast this year, retracking, which I'm very excited about, but I'm really looking forward to riding it because I thought it rode pretty well when I was there in September of 2021. I just had an amazing day, day and a half there back in September. And I'm, I'm like, I have to come here every year, at least once a year. And so what <laughs> you're saying is that at both Kings Island and Cedar Point, your artwork is going to be used not necessarily for sale in the parks, but on display in the parks. There's quite a few, I would say, unique one-off art pieces that I've designed for the parks that will be some permanent installations within the park and some for Kings Island that will be exclusive for their kind of theming decoration uh, around the park for the 50th anniversary. That is incredible. Now, is any of your work going to be for sale in the parks or are people going to find out you did this? Is it advertising for you as well or? No. So part of the agreement and the commission yeah. artwork, Pursuit of Thrills designs for Cedar Point. They're right. not Cedar Point licensing or uh, selling Pursuit of Thrills designs. So that's part of the avenue that I'm really focused on taking Pursuit of Thrills in is really having it be a rather just a standalone brand where it's only my design and like my vision that gets sold. It is a full service design agency that can produce what the parks need when they need it and for the attractions and rides and or initiatives that they have. And so this is going to be the first, first example um, that is going to be in the public in the parks uh, this year. That's really awesome. You must be so excited about this. Yeah, it's definitely a dream come true, especially being able to, you know, come almost literally full circle, Kings Island, the park that I grew up with that got me hooked into roller coasters, and then being asked to create artwork for their 50th anniversary that millions of guests are going to get to see. It's still pretty surreal. That is so cool. And I, I'm so excited now just to be going to these parks, especially Kings Island, the 50th, and just looking like, oh, where's Aaron's stuff? Where's Aaron? You know, that's so cool. That's I can't wait. I will say it will be very obvious. It is by far the largest any type of art installation or anything that I've ever done or seen. Wow. Yeah. And your style is unique too. So I'm sure it has your brand. It's because it is Pursuit of Thrills. This is you using your brand, your style for the parks. The best way of putting it is Pursuit of Thrills in my style, my vision that also aligns with the requirements from the park and their creative briefs. That's the best way of putting it. That's awesome. I so, think anyone that's familiar with you know the work that I do, they will be able to definitely instantly tell that's Pursuit of Thrills created that. That is really cool. So if you had the opportunity to say be an artist working for the parks full-time, is that something you would like to do? It's honestly, it's hard to say. I genuinely love having it as a hobby, as like a creative release. I would definitely love if the opportunity came. Pursuit of Thrills or Pursuit of Thrills Studio got to that point where it could be a a full-time thing where it could take over. I'm definitely not one where I will make either predictions or be like, this is what I want. I very much kind of focus on, you know, what are the opportunities in front of me and which is going to be the best to align with that. But yeah, obviously, if all things were equal, if I could make the switch and stuff like that into the industry, creating artwork and stuff like that, I 100% would love to make that switch. It was like a a one-for-one kind of swap out versus what I currently am doing. 
Okay. Right. Of course, you have to be able to make enough money to support the way you want to live, the lifestyle you're accustomed to, and, you know, be happy with your life. Yeah, I totally could understand that. So the thing I was sort of alluding to and getting at, I could totally yeah. see you taking where you're already doing with Cedar Point and Kings Island with Cedar Fair, which is amazing. I could see you working for the parks full time doing this stuff for sure. Yeah, that would be great. And just to kind of echo your thoughts about the Universal Creative team, like I know quite a few of the people both at Universal in terms of engineering side, as well as the Universal Creative on the creative and ride engineering side of things. And there's a lot of amazing people there. And that would be a great environment to maybe potentially one day in the future work for. Who knows what the future holds, but I know that those are all a lot of really great people. And the ones that I'm friends with, at least we go way back and it would be really interesting to actually work with some of them other than just like being acquaintances and friends. Yeah. You never know. The advice I like to give people in this area is just try to have an open mind because you never know where your skills and your abilities and just chance as well mixed in might take you. So hundred percent. And I definitely live by that. Cause I think even when I was, you know, in the middle of being an engineering student and stuff like that, if someone told me even what my current profession skill set is, I would have been like, eh, no, that's crazy. So it's definitely open-minded and really have to follow your gut and intuition. And usually at least I, I really firmly believe that if you stay true to yourself and stay true to your gut and what you believe is the right thing to do, then it usually ends up working out. Absolutely. Keeping in mind the Coaster Challenge mission about facing fears and theme park therapy, living better lives through the theme parks. Do you have any advice that you'd like to give those that are listening? If you're passionate about something, always follow your passions wherever they lead you and be open to where that might lead you, even if it's not what you originally thought of or intended. And I think by staying true to that, staying true to yourself, listening to your gut, listening to your intuition, but also making sure that you're feeding that like intuition properly in terms of enjoying what you want and not listening to the noise around you or what everyone else is trying to do or say and staying true to that, that will lead you towards the best outcomes. It's not by having like a prescribed script of I'm going to do this or this, or I'm going to do something to impress that. Just stay true to yourself, follow your gut, follow your passions. And usually that's going to lead you down that journey of happiness, because no matter what, you're staying true to yourself and what you love and what you're passionate about, then you're going to be happy. And if you're happy, that's usually going to put you in the right positions and situations that will continue that happiness throughout your life. Thank you, Aaron. That great advice. And what I think is awesome, and we've said this multiple times before, this question, everyone has a different answer. And your answer there about staying true to oneself and, you know, living your passion and following your passion. It's great advice, but I don't think anyone's given that advice before. It's great advice. So thank you for sharing that. And the last thing I'd like to ask you to do here, please, now it's finally time where you can share with our listeners, your, your store address, you know, you know, where people can find your designs, your social media, anything you'd like to share in that. Yeah. You want to check out the store, any of the work that I've done or will be doing, um, potentially releasing the future, visit pursuitofthrills.com, sign up for the email list or text messages, and you'll get some nice photo wallpapers sent directly to your phone. And then also Instagram at pursuitofthrills, pursuitofthrills.com, at pursuitofthrills on Instagram. And that's where you can find me and feel free to reach out. And I am always there and will always reply back as soon as I can. 
Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that, Aaron. And again, I encourage all of our listeners to check out your Instagram, certainly, but also especially your website, your designs, and, and you know, hopefully uh, purchase some of your products as you have some amazing product, tasteful artwork for Thuzis to put in their homes and whatnot. And I love it. So I'm excited to see what's going to show up here in the parks here at uh, Cedar Point and Kings Island this year. Can't wait. Thank you so much for taking the time, though, to talk to us today. No, thanks. Really appreciate you having me on and really enjoyed it. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to see more of us, we upload every Friday. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links are in the description below. Thanks for joining us here today. Thank you.